0: started playing and right about the time that was getting serious i found out about my eye condition my diagnosis and i think in that moment i know actually god spoke to me and it was sort of a realization of you've been met with this challenge but here's something that you'll never be hindered by your vision to do and that's to play and sing and so i just continued to try to find new ways to make it work but the art has inspired that and i wrote my first song When I was probably 16 and I just remember the high that I got from that and then hearing my first song played by a band and then hearing my first song recorded and then hearing my first song on the radio you know like all those things it just it never gets old you
1: know
2: Welcome to Curious Goldfish, a podcast community where music and curiosity come together through interesting conversations with the music makers of our world. I'm your host, Jason English. You can find Curious Goldfish in all the major podcast and social media platforms. And of course, we have all of our content on our website, curiousgoldfish.com. My conversation with singer-songwriter Wyatt Edmondson ended up being a two-act play, and I hope you find each equally interesting and educational. The first 20 minutes or so, we go deep on the business of being an independent musician. In preparing for the interview, and through this conversation, I'm extremely impressed by Wyatt's approach to generating revenue for himself. Many artists aren't as disciplined as he is, and I think you'll be surprised by his creativity and tenacity. He knows how to hustle. The second part is centered around his music and how his visual impairment fueled his pursuit of a career in music. You can't help but admire his intentional focus on making good art that will have a positive impact on our culture. Wyatt wraps us up with two live songs, one called Shelter off of his 2023 album, and the other is an unreleased song he co-wrote with Sarah Peacock. Here's Alabama fan and current Nashville resident Wyatt Edmondson. Let's dive in. Wyatt, thanks for joining.
0: Yeah, man. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it.
2: We're in Florida. It's the middle of January. We're here for 30A Songwriters Festival. You've been here before, right?
0: Yes. Actually, this is my seventh year here. Seventh. Yeah. I got in really early when I was still in college. And, I mean, I've literally grown up with this festival. It's seen me and I've seen it change in so many ways. And uh, I've experienced a lot of growth as a result of being involved with Russell Carter and and just the 30A Fest and some of the other things that he's put on, and it's just allowed me a lot of great opportunities, so I'm very thankful.
2: Yeah, what about it has, has enabled that growth
0: I think mostly it's connections, getting to mingle with some of the other artists and also getting to know the people with Russell Carter Artist Management and some of the other opportunities that have come out of this, like other songwriters festivals that, you know, I get to slap 30A Fest on my resume. And then that allows me to get into some other opportunities as well. Some other festivals Um, this past year, Russell had me be a part of the uh, 30A Songwriters Festival showcase at Americana Fest in Nashville. Um, I've been writing uh, songs with some of the, uh, you know, really accomplished songwriters that frequent this festival, like Jeffrey Steele, Adam Hood, and, and plenty of others.
2: And um, those are all people that I've met at these types of events, so, you that's know. That's amazing, that's good. In terms of festivals, you know, a question I like to ask folks, if you had the responsibility of putting on an evening at a music festival and you had four acts to fill in the the, uh, the lineup, who would you put it on the card? What's my budget? <laughs> it's unlimited. Uh, and it doesn't have to be the same genre. Like, it, yeah. it, it's your, it's, it's Wyatt's show. Uh, do they all have to be alive still? No.
0: Okay. No. Let's bring up Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band <laughs> and... Maybe uh resurrect Jimi Hendrix from the dead and then we'll have Bob Marley finish it off, you know. Those are those are some of my absolute favorites and I would be front front and center the whole time. I would not do anything but enjoy the music, so it probably would be pretty unorganized.
2: Hey man. That would be a hell of a festival. <laughs> I wonder how much the merch would go for that. I don't know. You could put all their faces on the same shirt. I would wear it every day, yeah, you know. Exactly. No, that's that's all right. Good answer. That Thanks, was good. Man. That was good. So one thing that I'm, I'm curious about, I'm not Part of the music industry, but you're an independent artist, right? You, you're basically an entrepreneur. Yep. Managing a business day to day, I guess. Can you walk us through some of the details around, you know, how do you generate the top line revenue? When you wake up every day, it's like you have to worry about your art, or you as an artist, but then it's like you've got to also pay the bills. Sure. Yeah. So can you walk us through? what that looks like from a revenue perspective first
0: I'll start by saying that it's it's a constant journey you're constantly revamping and rethinking your business model that's definitely been the case for me over the past 7 years that I've lived in Nashville I always tell people you no know, if you're if you're thinking about doing music professionally but you're on the fence about jumping in full time because you want the steady support and foundation of a day job i'm not saying that having a day job is a problem there's a lot of people who are really successful in music who also still have like a a weekly day job that they kind of use to be the foundation of their financial situation um but that was never the case for me i always was of the mindset that you just have to jump in head first and then just start swimming and see what works and i think for most musicians whether you're really trying to be an artist or if you're really trying to be more behind the scenes if you can play live I think that's the easiest way to get the ball rolling and to start supporting yourself Um, and I'll just give you a little background on how my model has changed over the years I mean when I first moved to Nashville I pretty much didn't live there I mean I paid rent there but I I was in a van and we were going five days a week playing around the southeast and sometimes even further beyond that and Bars, coffee shops, small venues, things like that, and that was before I really knew much about like royalties or any other like commission-based work you could do, and and so I was really paying the bills doing that, but it wasn't near as it was not near as lucrative as I was thinking it was because not only was I young and not really financially responsible, but I was kind of living above my means a little bit. And I think a lot of artists struggle with that because you have to have this, I don't want to say image, but you really just have to be comfortable, you know. And sometimes that requires you to put a little bit more on a credit card than you know you're supposed to. And I I found myself, when COVID hit, I'd been in Nashville for, I guess, almost four years, but I really hadn't been there much. And I, I found myself suddenly, all my tour dates were gone. I was locked up in the house and i came to two conclusions (laughs) the the first conclusion was i don't have any other streams of income besides performing live and that's a problem and then the second one was i don't have enough friends in this town I, i i feel like i don't really live here so i made those big changes one of the big changes i made was i started touring less and i started performing more regularly around nashville and a lot of that consisted of playing like on lower Broadway. I had to start playing more cover songs, but I would also pick the right shifts during the day to where it was like, you know, I typically play in the afternoon. And yeah. so you can you can really do whatever you want. I mean, I started out just doing what I thought people wanted, but then I quickly started making it my own experience and, and marketing myself down there as a musician and or as a songwriter, I should say, and saw a lot of success with that. So now that's a big part of my... Income stream, um, some you know regular, what I would call residency gigs around Nashville. Like I said, down on Broadway right. in the afternoon hours. That's very much a stream of income for me. And then I I stumbled into, like I mentioned, sort of commission based work, particularly writing songs and getting paid upfront for doing it. I'm going to give a shout out to a company that. Kind of changed my situation right. called Songfinch. Oh, cool. And they reached out to me. It was, I guess, in 2021. Those years kind of run together for me. But I think they reached out to me in 2021 and they found me on Spotify. They'd heard some of my music. And basically, what they do is they run a company that del- customized songs to the customer that they can essentially use as maybe a gift for a spouse or maybe to memorialize an experience or even if they maybe just have an idea for a song that they they have always wanted to see, you know, manifest and into an actual song and and have someone who that's their job, put it together. And so I started to get into that. And at first I was a little bit turned off because (laughs) I was like, I don't know (laughs) if I really want to write like Dave and Julie's love love story, but I ended up really getting into it, That's and then and, and then it ended up paying very well, That's and amazing. and then that was the part where it was like, okay, this is a serious part of my business at this point, and so I, I still work with Songfinch. I do some stuff outside of them as well. In twenty twenty two, I think I wrote like over six hundred custom songs. What? You know, yeah, man, uh, six hundred. Yeah, and so. Those are really, uh, that's a cool business model and, and a cool like boost to my whole situation because I mean, first off, I can do it from anywhere. I'm actually going to go after this yeah. podcast and, and, and work on one. So, you know, and that'll be a little bit of money that I'll make today before I go and perform
2: tonight, you know, and so. I have so many questions. Can I ask Yeah, a jump couple? in. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. So what's the mindset in the process? Because obviously like, you know. My assumption is as a songwriter, you're inspired by family stories, heartbreak, personal experiences, all these things that you're observing and experiencing. Uh-huh. Is it the same thing for Jim and Julie? That Do you have any idea what their story is and their background? Or do you have to kind of like, in your mind, make up a scenario? You no, know?
0: so I mean, it's actually really streamlined and it gives the customer an opportunity to provide me with a lot of helpful information and sort of give me a... So you're fed
2: nuggets of... Yeah, I mean, they sort
0: of give me a roadmap, but I'm free to take whichever... Whichever way I want to go, you know, there's there's a finish, there's there's an ending point on the map, but I can choose how I want to get there, you know, and um, it's really fun. And, and actually, incredible. I think it's really attributed to my ability as a songwriter for my own music, particularly just making me a faster writer because mm. it's just more constantly flowing ideas, and and so you know, I have nothing but good things to say about it. Yeah. Um,
2: is there a for, Is there a formula that you've kind of developed?
0: The more I study songwriting. The more I put emphasis on the chorus, because I think at the end of the day, that is the point that which we're trying to have an arrival, you know. But if the if the journey to get there isn't good, that's a problem. And if the arrival is good or excuse me, if if the arrival isn't worth the journey, that's a problem. And Hmm. so it's really important to make that arrival moment worth that journey you know so i put a lot of focus at least over the past year i'm still a growing and developing songwriter but over the past year i've put so much emphasis into making sure that that journey was worth it by having a chorus that is going to be something people
2: are going to be like have you ever written a song for jim and julie that you wish damn i you know i wish i wish I, it was mine on my album or you know part of my uh portfolio
0: Well, as a matter of fact, um, yes. And and I I do own the rights to the song. Oh, so you own the rights. Perfect. So I actually did record a song on my most recent album that I wrote for someone. And uh, it was for this guy out of Wyoming. um, And it's called The Code of the West. And uh, so it was basically I talked to him for 40. It wasn't through Songfinch, but it was through something called The American Song. And it's very similar. Interesting. But I talked to him on a uh zoom call for about 45 minutes about his life and came up with the song and wrote it and had to give it to him in in a day so it was like very it was a single session right a very stream of consciousness but i ended up loving it and i was like i'm gonna put this on my record and so we did
2: that's amazing yeah all right well i learned something here okay cool so i guess back i have a question back to like the the gigs in nashville yeah maybe a dumb question but if you go and play at a coffee shop does a coffee shop give you any kind of fee or is it all tips
0: well it's mostly the bars um and yes they do have base pays um i'm actually writing a book on this right now oh cool um so i'm I'm writing a, a little ebook that i'm hoping to put out in the next year that's going to basically be a roadmap for people who want to do what i'm doing but yeah they offer base pays that i would say on the low end or around 75 bucks and it goes as high as 300 dollars. and then you know you get tips down there which can range you know, if you're good at what you do, I would say a hundred plus in tips generally. And also, it's not uncommon for people to do more than one shift in a day down there, which most vocal coaches would tell you is a very bad idea. But right. if you if you know how to pace yourself, I mean, it's it's a good living, and it's really inspiring because you get to be around these just amazing players. You know, the guy who gets off the bar stool and you're up next, he's amazing and he's got a publishing deal and and i've seen guys very quickly get signed to record labels you know who've been down there for a couple years honing their craft and then when the timing's right they just launch so i'm very lucky and and i'm not at all uh ashamed to say that i'm down there because sometimes when you move to nashville some people are like oh broadway that's where musicians go to give up their dreams right no that's where you go to hone your craft in my opinion
2: So the live music and taverns and such with uh, the fees and then the tips, the commission-based stuff, and then there's, what, merchandise probably? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I
0: I sell CDs and vinyl down there. Um, I'm always getting people to sign up for my email list down there. I mean, you're, you're basically touring without having to travel because tourists come from all over the world to come see music on Broadway. I'll have people from all of the 50 states, people from Europe, people from even further than that who connect with my music and then if I go out on tour I've I've had them come and buy tickets to shows you know and so it's a cool way to build up an audience kind of in a grassroots
2: approach yeah that's awesome what what kind of surprises me is I think some artists when they're playing taverns you know doing doing their thing and it's you know covers probably sprinkled with originals right yep they actually they actually sort of assume that like hey you know i'm up here on stage i'm doing my thing tips are going to come and the, the the folks are just going to know to venmo me or you buy the t-shirt there's not a lot of active marketing you know uh, and i am like you guys are missing a huge opportunity here
0: yeah i think it the best way to do it is to do it, it subtle but intentionally you know um, i have plenty of little one-liners that i'll say on stage that are whether or not people realize it, yeah. prompts. Yeah, you they're, you're
2: nudging them. Yeah, yeah, and
0: and, it, and I've gotten it down to a science, and and it's all genuine. You know, I think that's the most important thing. You're not you're not up there like a angry monkey with a with a tip jar going, give me money. You know, I mean, that's it's never going to work. You know, it's it's about the art. But people who are connected to you will always
2: make it worth your while. Yeah, this podcast is a sort of a passion project. I have a full time job. I'm in right. corporate world, technology and sales and it's pretty common sort of mindset and framework to say like the, the cost of acquiring a new customer is so much greater than you know an existing customer right sure. so it's, it's like you know once you get a customer in you nurture them you retain them you try to upsell them yeah because you've got the access and the relationship I would assume it's the same thing for an artist it
0: right? is i think what what you just touched on is most notably demonstrated in an email list yeah. uh, because social media we're not in control anymore <laughs> uh, because of the algorithm yeah. you know i mean most of artists who post on social media like let's say you have ten thousand instagram followers well if you make a post only about 500 of those followers are actually going to see that post most of the time and then only about you know, 300 of them are actually going to actively engage with that post. So, I mean, 10,000 people who you've met who like your music, only 300 of them are really going to get something out of a content piece. That's crazy. In an email, if you got 10,000 email list subscribers, that email is going to go to every single one of their inboxes. Now, I'm not saying they're all going to open it and interact right. with it, but it's a much higher percentage. I think it's like social media is about 5%. I think uh, email in the music business is around 28%. Yeah. So it's a much better conversion. And right. with my email list, I try to have fun. I try to, I try to give more than I ask. Right. Um, and I try to make sure that the people who are on my list are really getting something out of it. But at the same time, you know, if I roll out a new merch item and I send out an email, I get a lot of people who buy it because they like what I right. do. And, and they also like the shirt or the hat. You right. Know? And it's much easier to get their attention that way.
2: Is merch? Is that where you? Is that where the profit margin is the best?
0: Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about profit margin, I think CDs are actually where it's at. Are uh, people
2: still buying the CDs.
0: Yeah, especially <laughs> especially if you sign it. I always joke with people. I'll tell you this: like one thing I did for my album that came out last year was the first two hundred copies I numbered and signed, and so people really latched on to that. I mean, that increases the value right there. You know, if you've got number copy number five. And it's signed. That's unique, yeah, that's you know. Neat. And so that increases the value, and it doesn't cost me anything but my time. Yeah, I sold out of those first two hundred copies in about a month because of that. And then once I stopped numbering them, the sales slowed down a little bit, but they're still signing them. And, you know, I always joke with people at shows. I'm like, you know, if you don't have a CD player anymore, this thing doubles nicely as a drink <laughs> coaster. <laughs> right you know, and they laugh, and and then they buy it. You know.
2: Well, I know the whole vinyl thing is coming back. I'm, I'm I just bought a record player this yeah. year and i'm all into it yeah i had no idea the cds were also making a comeback
0: but the company i use in nashville i think i get my cds for like a little over two dollars okay and i turn around and sell them for 10 so that's yeah. like a, almost a 5x yeah. you know but vinyl is vinyl is about maybe a 2x yeah. maybe a little bit less which is good um, yeah but still you yeah. know it's it's good to have yeah and uh you know my record i, I personally believe sounds best on vinyl so I think for the
2: the listener it's worth it for the music fans out there your advice to them what's the best way for them to actually support their favorite artists is it the Venmo support is it the merchandise combination the
0: the best way to support and not even just on what's going to net me the most profit but just what's going to net me the most satisfaction yeah. is is something transactional like buying my album or maybe even hiring me to come and perform at like a house concert you know those right. kinds of things i've had people before just give me a a big old tip or something like that and that's awesome i right. love that but right. sometimes it it almost feels like they're doing it because they think that you're struggling and, and it's like well i'm not but i do appreciate that you know and, and it's it's always from a place of love but buying the buying the music listening to it sharing it i had a fan in uh massachusetts who bought 30 copies of my cd and just gave it away to friends, oh that's amazing and that was awesome yeah and that's so, that's great yeah i mean that kind of stuff really means a lot
2: to me the streaming platforms it's great as a fan right because you yeah. can it's all at your fingertips it's just a way for you to get your art out there, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think at this this stage, especially if you're an independent artist, um, streaming is just a marketing platform. Um, and a lot of times you have to spend money to make money with streaming. You know, they, I mean, just like in the old days of payola and radio and things like that, there's Spotify playlist curators now who will charge you a fee to place their place your song on their playlist and you know it's 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 not as uncommon as you would think um, they always want to tell you oh you're gonna make it back in streams and stuff but it doesn't always work out that way but what it does if you if you work with the right curators you do get on lists that have organic listeners right. and, and it does end up growing your brand and so I think there's just a, a give and take and a balance and then also you know paid advertising on things like Facebook and Instagram and tiktok is is a real yeah.
2: is a really big way people are getting their 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 reach out there these days oh that's great well thanks for going through that i guess i want to shift to you know the music yeah. right and your art i'm still blown away by the way by this songfinch concept <laughs>
0: yeah maybe cool, i'm man. like
2: late to the game there but that's yeah that's really interesting yeah um but yeah your music so did you, you released a, a, an album last year right yes
0: yeah it's called made for the road and i was releasing a slew of singles throughout the year and then the full album dropped on uh september the 15th last year
2: that's awesome what has music meant to you in your life
0: well it certainly means more to me than the business analytics you know (laughs) i mean most musicians aren't really the best ceos you know but um i think honestly my dad's a musician and uh he got me into it early on, um, just the love of good music and and playing the guitar. I started playing the guitar when I was a preteen, you know, and uh, I I saw that he did it sort of semi professionally. He was sort of a weekend warrior band guy. He was a lawyer by day and would play in rock bands on the weekends and stuff and. I saw him do that and I was like, I I don't even, I wasn't even thinking about the money at first. I was like, I just want to do that. I just want to play in a band, you know? So, me and some buddies in high school put a band together. We started playing. And right about the time that was getting serious, I found out about my eye condition, my diagnosis. And I think in that moment, I know actually, God spoke to me and it was sort of a realization of you've been met with this challenge, but here's something that you'll never be hindered by your vision to do, and that's to play and sing. And so it it really just catapulted me into getting real serious about making that my living and making that my job. And so I started gigging all the time, and that's what I did all the way through college. I never had a real job. The only real job I ever had was in the middle of COVID for about six months. I got a little remote computer job because there was nothing to do, you know. Right, Uh, But that was it, man. You know, that's the only job I've ever had is music. And so I just continued to... Try to find new ways to make it work. But the art has inspired that. And I wrote my first song when I was probably 16. And I just remember the high that I got from that. And then hearing my first song played by a band. And then hearing my first song recorded. And then hearing my first song on the radio. You know, like all those things. It just, it never gets old,
2: you know. That's incredible. And for the audience, you're legally blind, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How How has that changed... Or affected your uh, again the songwriting. There's obviously lots of different sources of material. Does it creep in? Does it creep into to that process?
0: Well, if it does in its own way, I mean, I, I don't, I haven't yet. I'm not going to say that I don't, but I haven't yet really writ- written a song about being blind right. or anything like that. But one of the things I always tell my co-writers that I do, and it's really out of necessity. Because I'm not able to read handwriting on a page or anything, I am able to use some accessibility functions through sure. my like phone and, and computer and stuff. But what I typically do when I'm creating songs is I'll write something down, and then as quickly as I write it down, I try to recall it in my own mind. And because and it's because I can't read it, right. you know. So, and what I think it does is it refines my lyrics to just be more memorable, because you have to remember it right now. And so I'll. I think a lot of songwriters, they write something on the page, and then they're instantly married to it, you know, whereas to me, I write something down, and then I have to recall it, and typically when I recall it, I actually recall something that's slightly different, but maybe a better
2: option. Oh, it's better, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so it it puts a little little bit more finer sort of touch on the process, I think
0: it just forces my brain to work a little bit more, and it forces it to get more and more efficient, you know? I, I want my songs to be memorable, right? And if I can't recall it in in the next second, then maybe it needs to be re- rethought a little bit. Right.
2: Know? So you're from Alabama, right? Yes. Roll Tide. <laughs> there there you go. Um, <laughs> we love you, big, Coach Saban. Yeah, big news on, on Saban this week. I, I've been to a lot of shows the last couple of years. I live in Atlanta, so that there's a lot happening in Atlanta. Everybody comes through there. I think one of the most memorable performances I've seen in the last two years since moving there was at Eddie's Attic. Uh-huh. The Blind Boys of Alabama. Okay, yeah. yeah. And uh, I'll never forget that because the group has been around for 70 years and, right. you know, the, the members come and go, but they've got the band going and they, they make their entrance and they have their hands on their shoulders yeah. going up on stage. And then obviously they sing. It's, it's beautiful. The joy in that whole experience, you know, I, I thought to myself, like, that's the power of music. Sure. You know, it's like people, we all have challenges. Right. You know, whether they're self-inflicted, whether they're, you know, from, from whatever and, to see that, to see them do what they did for two hours, I was like, "This is what music is all about."
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I can just speak to my own experience, but I bet you it's the same for for them. Like, when you do something well, particularly if you have a disability, but you're able to do something very well and people respect you for it, it just it just fulfills you and it just makes you feel like you're providing. A meaningful contribution to the greater society, the greater culture, you know, and I, I think there's sadly, there's a lot of people out there who struggle with disabilities that haven't found that avenue for themselves yet, and they might feel like, I just, I don't have anything to offer, you know, and as a musician, whenever I play shows I always talk about how like, I'm not able to drive a car, but because of music, I've traveled the world and that's that is God, That that is the power of fate and and the power of a story and the power of just living life to the fullest you know and, and finding ways to do the things that you really want to do and people i want to say people are inspired by me but i mean they connect with that idea because everybody has a story everybody has something they chased after in their lives and when you get it when you find it it just empowers you it empowers you to keep going
2: right I believe that every musician has a mission, whether they kind of know it, just, yeah. you know, kind of explicitly or not. Do you, do you think you have a mission?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think my mission has always been the same. The mission is really just to have a life that I am proud of. One of my late professors, Robert W. Smith, has been a huge mentor to me. He just passed away. Uh, but he, he always said, I don't have a job. I have a life. And that's that's how I've always wanted to feel, and that's how I do feel. I wouldn't be of that mindset if it weren't for people like him.
2: Right. How important is your faith?
0: It's very important. I've written some faith-based songs, but I just carry my faith around with me. And, and I try to be, especially when I'm in the, the view of the public eye or anything, I, I definitely try to just be the type of person that other people will gain something from, you know, and I'm not, I'm not an evangelist. I don't necessarily think that is the best methodology of spreading the word of God,
2: right. the The podcasts that I'm doing, like I said, it's a passion project. It was inspired by the television show, Ted Lasso. Yeah, So I'm, I'm not sure how much you watch that, but curiosity is, was a big component of that. Uh-huh. And then this idea of, of being a goldfish, which is all about, you know, forgetting what happened a minute ago, two minutes ago, in an effort to move forward and and be positive. Right. So when it comes to curiosity, what are you what are you curious about?
0: That's awesome. Um, Self-development, I think, is the best way I can say that. Uh, I've always enjoyed consuming literature or videos or, you know, listening, having conversations with others about how we can be the best versions of ourselves. Um, I've never been that interested in fiction, you know? <laughs> I've always really been interested in just becoming a better version of myself, but, you know, a way you already are your best version of yourself, you just have to be aware of that and be present. And so I've gotten a lot out of authors like Eckhart Tolle, if you've ever heard of The yep. Power of Now. Right. That book changed my life. Books on just how to be... A person who has a life of affluence to be a person who doesn't want for anything but has what they what they need i'm, all, I'm always curious for people who have insight or share that passion you know i always want to get inside someone else's head and just see what 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 works for them and how they are their best self you know
2: that's great So it's January 2024, 2023 is a big year for you. What are your goals for the rest of this year and beyond? I think I read somewhere where one day you want to be on stage or tour with driving and crying. They're playing here tonight. Yeah. Are you going to, are you going to be able to find, find them and and make that happen?
0: I'd love to. (laughs) Absolutely. Those guys are awesome. Kevin Kinney and and the rest of the group is they're They're great musicians Uh, opening for a, uh, a larger act is always something that's on the docket it's sure. always some, it's always a goal i did a lot of touring last year i actually ended up running myself into the ground mm. i struggled with a little bit of uh, vocal issues last year i mm. had to cancel about a month's worth of my tour dates uh, i had to go to a speech therapist and figure out what i was doing incorrectly and and fix that and i'm i'm back to 110% now so that's Perfect. great but Perfect. this year i think my biggest goal is to sow my seeds around Nashville to, to co-write with people who are exactly where I want to be as a, as a songwriter. And I do think that that is the fastest track to getting those opportunities like you're talking about. You know, if you write a song with one of the guys in Driving and Crying, as an example, and they love it, and even if they don't cut it, but still, they have a, you now have a relationship, and they might say, Hey, Wyatt. I really like you man and like we want to bring you out on the road and and like let's do some of that you know. And so that is I think that's how that stuff happens. It's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it to make great songs. And but I the relationships and the result of of that is is a great is a great perk.
2: Awesome. Well, thanks for being here. Good luck this year. Thank you. And uh I would love if you played a couple songs. I'd love to man. Let's right.
0: do it. Thanks for having me by the way. Thanks
2: why it was a pleasure. Yeah. Appreciate you.
0: I wrote this one for my soon-to-be wife and uh, when we were just kind of about a year into our relationship, I think. and It's just a song about when you find somebody that is really there for you in all of life, life's moments. It's sort of like the shelter from the storm, no matter what, you know, no matter what the weather is. And so this one's called Shelter.
1: I I wouldn't let down my guard for anyone But now I just ache for your touch I never thought I'd need you this much But you're my shade in the sun You're my sun in the rain You're my rain in a drought The one I can't live without You're my shelter You're my shelter It's the way you call out my name Put my old fortress to shame yeah you knocked it down and i find myself laughing like hell and i realize if i'm with you heaven must be real because you're my shade in the sun you're my sun in the rain you're my rain in a drought I can't live without You're my shelter You're my shelter On a rock In whatever weather Honey, you're my shelter You're my shade in the sun You're my sun in the rain A drop of rain on my tongue I'm rain in a drought the one I can't live without you're my shelter you're my shelter
0: one's not released but uh i wrote it with my friend sarah peacock who i met here um i think maybe my second year here at the festival and uh we've become really really close friends and uh yeah sarah she's gonna be playing tonight i think she's just getting into town today but um i got this idea when i was on an airplane i get a lot of ideas on airplanes i don't really know why but something about being thirty thousand feet in the air you know um and i heard some guy talk to his friend and he was like man if i ever try to do that again just tell me no before i even start you know and i don't know what they were talking about but i just heard that that phrase tell me no and i was just like oh man there's something there so i wrote down a little, a little chorus on the plane and then sarah and i put the song together and it has not been recorded but i'm getting ready to record it and uh anyway it's called tell me no
1: I'm not strong, I'm weak You got me searching for something I know I don't need The angel in you brings out the devil in me And I could lose everything So tell me no, don't get too close I've got a good woman waiting at home It's just my sin, tonic and gin That bends me into a person I don't even know So turn and go Tell me no You might think it's forever or just for a good time I'm trying to hold it together not cross that line Don't wanna wake up tomorrow shaking off tonight Yeah, we both know it ain't right So tell me no, don't get too close. I've got a good woman waiting at home. It's just my sin, tonic and gin, that bends me into a person I don't even know. So turn and go, and tell me no. Tell me not to throw away the only Good, I've got. Don't let me be the monster that I know I'm not. Just let me walk away and follow my heart home. And tell me no. Just tell me no. Tell me no. Don't get too close. I've got a good one waiting at home it's just my sin tonic and gin that bends me into a person i don't even know turn and go tell me no it's just my sin tonic and gin that sends me down a broken road with a bitter
2: Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Curious Goldfish. Please follow and subscribe to the podcast and on social media. Also, tell your music-loving friends about us too. Until next time, stay curious.